Warning. The following broadcast is not intended to be a substitute for legal advice or firearm safety, competence, or proficiency training. This broadcast is solely for entertainment, discussion, and informational purposes. Side effects may include a sudden undeniable urge to exercise your Second Amendment rights, and you may in fact turn into a gun nut. You've been warned. Welcome back to Locked, Loaded, and Legal. I'm your host, Mike Jeremita of Jeremita Law Offices, with your host, firearms instructor Jose Morales. Thank you for coming back. Uh, we've got a lot for you today. We're going to talk about how to properly arm yourself mentally, physically, and legally. So let's jump right in. Jose, you deal with a lot of this on the practical side of firearms ownership. What are some of the things that folks need to know if they're going to properly arm themselves mentally? Well, like we talked about in our previous episode, you know, we rely on our gun our gun friends to give us advice on firearms and, uh, and ammunition and such. But very little kind of forethought is ever given to the actual process of using deadly force mm. you know individuals don't really sit down and reflect on that and that's one of the uh, one of the key things that I focus on with new and prospective gun owners and again again gun owners even before you go ahead and you buy that awesome Springfield XD and whatever kind of caliber is going to blow the bad guy up right um, you really need to give some serious thought to the act of using that gun um, you know, and very few people ever do that um, until after the fact, you know, when the gun is, uh, is is smoking and they have to kind of call you, Mike. It's too late at that point, isn't it? It's, it's way too late. So I tell people, you know, mindset is the key. You know, give some thought to the actual um, process of using that gun. Um, I try to tell people, you know, go into a... Uh, a space that um, you're relaxed, that you can disconnect from any distractions, your cell phone and and life's pressures, and really reflect and, and answer the question, can you be a person, the person, to do the most heinous act in, in our society, which is kill another human being? Now, don't you know, don't confuse this with actually murder. Um, we're talking about justified use of deadly force. If you absolutely positively had no choice but to use that gun, could you take a human life? And that's important because there's no way to get around it and there's no sense in sugarcoating it. That's what this all comes down to. And if you're not willing to do that, you need to find out ahead of time uh, before it's too late. Absolutely, and it's not it's not a judgment call. You know, we're not. No one's going to judge you. And if you say, "Well, no, I'm not sure. I don't know my religion, my morals, my values, my views," you know, impede me from being able to be the one to take a human life. That's okay. But it's important to know this prior to going out and purchasing a gun because, you know, a gun is a tool of deadly force. You know, that's exactly what it is, and it's designed to punch holes in things. And wouldn't you say, Jose, that if you are carrying a firearm and you have jumped into that lifestyle headfirst and at some point you realize uh, while a critical incident is in the process of taking place that you are unwilling to use that firearm or to take that life, doesn't that place the person in a very dangerous situation along with the people around them? Well, you don't want you know, you don't want to figure out when you absolutely positively need to use that gun, which is the scenario in which you'd use the gun, 
that you're going to hesitate or falter or not use the gun. It's one of these things where, again, decide if I had no choice and I had to use deadly force to protect myself or a loved one or an innocent person, can I use it without any reservation? Because that's the only scenario in which you're going to be using it. It's not a tool of intimidation. It's a tool of last resort. And you don't want to find out when you have to use the gun that you have some reservation and you end up, you know, being the victim uh, of, of of a tragedy. Now, let's say you have taken that step and you've decided, yes, you know, if my my family or if my life is in danger, then I'm willing to take somebody else's life to protect that. Even after you've made that decision, uh, isn't avoidance one of the best tactics for people in these situations? Absolutely. One of the best, you know, I tell my students the best gunfight is the one we avoid through situational awareness. You know, I mean, we can avoid so many things just being aware. We have so many things competing for our attention um, throughout the day. You know, we have earbuds that, you know, that will uh, will kind of uh, make us uh, immune to, uh, to, to being able to use our sense of hearing. You know, we, we have our cell phones and that, that keep us uh, focused on, you know, incoming texts that, you know, our vision is then blocked you know you can't walk around with two senses blocked and not you know not look like uh like an active uh, you know like a target i tell people if you look like meat you're gonna be eaten right that's uh you know that's an old saying so uh, avoidance and awareness are key um to the concealed carry lifestyle because again the last thing that I ever want to do is use the gun. I don't want to use the gun. I don't want to unholster the gun. It's, it's, I don't want to do that. And so uh, avoidance is really important. So one of the things that comes to my mind is I remember there was an illustration in one of Mossad's books where he's going down to the act of reading a newspaper in a diner and showing which positions and which angles to read the newspaper so you're situationally aware as opposed to others. I thought that was pretty incredible. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, the, the title of the uh, the book escapes me right now, but yes, absolutely. You know, from the, you know, my wife and I, we have this running joke all the time. Uh, I, I, I always have the gunfighter's chair because I'm the one that carries all the time. Um, and she is really, you know, she likes to be aware of the people that are entering the restaurant. So sure. I just told her, I said, listen, you know, when you start carrying your gun, regularly we can go ahead and we can have a conversation as to who gets the gunfighter's chair until then <laughs> i get it now she carries so we do this little dance back and forth we kind of you know play, play rock paper scissors <laughs> and whoever wins you know sits with their back to the wall and in front to the door but little things like that can um you know are are really important you know what's funny is everybody wants those seats in brooklyn that's like just a thing <laughs> gun owner or not you're looking for that that seat that's got your back to the wall in that back corner so you could see everything that's going on. Maybe we're just paranoid, but, uh, you know, growing up, that was Well, just I prefer to say, you know, kind of prepared, you prepared. know? <laughs> but, prepared, uh, certainly. But, uh, uh, you know, absolutely, yeah, you know, little things like that that we can do to uh, to um, to up our awareness. Uh, I tell people when, you know, when uh, we enter, let's say, a Wawa, or well, for those of you who aren't from Philadelphia, I'm a New Yorker, so I know what Wawa were uh, until I lived here, but 7-Eleven uh, or yep. a convenience store, a mini-mart or a gas station, mini-mart. When you enter an unknown location, scan, really, really look. I look from left to right, I look and I scan the whole place, you know, before I enter or while I'm entering, playing you know um, particular attention to people who are um, behind um, displays or behind racks and such I just try to be aware of the individuals that are in these locations um, while I enter and if I get a uh, a suspicious feeling a, a weird my spidey sense starts tingling I just turn around and I leave 
Yeah. Another thing is watching the hands. Watching the hands is incredibly important. Absolutely, yep. That's, an, that's another thing, you know, just being raised in New York, I'm sure. There you go. The same thing. <laughs> I, I always remember when I was in Oklahoma for the first time for college, people were so friendly out there. They'd approach and they'd say, hi, how are you? I thought everybody was trying to rob me. I kid you not. Yeah. Everybody, they ask me these questions. I'm like backing up. Why are you up, being so at, nice to me? Backing up, looking at their hands. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But they, they're really just that polite out there. But it doesn't hurt, right? What, Listen, is, what does it hurt to, to be situationally aware like it that? It costs you nothing to be aware. I tell people hands are the threat and eyes show intent. So when I walk down the street, I really don't, you know, don't look at faces that much. I, I always look at hands and where the hands are positioned. Um, and then I scan the waistline to see if there are any weird little bulges. And I work my way up to the eyes and then I take a look at the person as a whole you know are they dressed appropriately do they again um, it's not about profiling um, it, well it is about profiling it is about kind of analyzing and learning patterns and behaviors and learning from previous patterns and behaviors so profiling is not a bad thing profiling on solely on base of race now that's a different story right so what kind of situations would you want to avoid well, I mean, you know, it, it again, again, situations that seem um, out of place. Again, use we are creatures of instinct. Um, I tell people, you know, first be have the ability to be um, aware um, and see things happening and being and be able to assess. So um, alleviate distractions, superfluous distractions, and also just be constantly aware. Again, in a relaxed state of awareness, like Colonel Cooper said, condition yellow. I'm relaxed, but I'm aware. Kind of like when we're driving. When we're driving, we're relaxed and we're aware of our surroundings, and that'll lead us, um, you know, down the right path every single day. What about time of day? Is that something that comes into consideration? Well, absolutely, it does, and we can actually pick up on that after this segment break. Hi, Jose Morales here. Mike and I want to take a minute to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to us. If you find the broadcast interesting or informative, please tell others about us and consider showing your support either by becoming a patron on Patreon or through a donation on PayPal via the links at LockedLoadedAndLegal.com. Thanks again and stay safe. And we're back with Locked, Loaded, and Legal. Don't forget to visit us at LockedLoadedAndLegal.com and tell us what you think about our show. Again, we're here for you, the listeners. You can find our social media platforms again on LockedLoadedAndLegal.com. Jose, when we left off, we were talking about uh, certain situations and places to avoid in order to avoid these types of situations where you might have to use your firearm. So one of the things that I asked is, is time of day a consideration that comes into account? Well, I, absolutely. It is a. It is definitely a consideration. I tell people, you know, you want to learn about the criminal mindset, take a look at the Discovery Channel uh, with paying particular attention to uh, the lion and the gazelle, you know, and how... Uh, you know, how predators operate, you know, darkness is a cover for criminals. So we have to be extra aware and alert. And women are generally much better at this than men, believe it or not, because they have to take that into consideration from an early age. We will park anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, my wife actually takes a moment to assess, well, 
well, what time am I, am I going to get back to my car? If it's going to be dark, I'm going to, she's going to park underneath a, a streetlight. We will park in the, the darkest corner of the, uh, of the mall uh, parking lot and we'll end up getting pistol whipped. So, yeah. yeah, it definitely is a consideration because criminals do pay attention to that. Now, what about places that prohibit you from carrying? Maybe not necessarily legally, because I understand people have to go to the post office at some point generally, although I understand there's alternatives <laughs> for that now through stamps.com and everything. But uh, what about places that, that simply have policies against firearms? I know that you know legally speaking it's one thing, but what do you think about it practically speaking? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, of being very selective as to who I patronize and who I give my money to. Um, I believe in what's called commitment to carry. And years ago, I only carried, like most people, only when I thought I needed it, only when I thought I was going into those areas, quote unquote. And then I quickly realized that I've never had a car accident that I expected, so I'm never going to have a gunfight I expected. And I went ahead and I made a lifestyle shift and I started and decided to carry all the time. I call that commitment to carry. And of course, you know, I received you know critique from from family members like really seriously dude you're mm-hmm. kind of paranoid you know even and but that quickly changed to you carrying right because when they realized you know it's more important to be prepared and have an option to protect yourself um, than to seem one way or another you know seem paranoid um, it people get it so bottom line is I'm gonna carry all the time because I want an option to protect myself and if there is a business that doesn't allow me to exercise my right to protect myself and my family I'm gonna choose not to patronize them period end of story because again I want the option to protect myself and that's just my um, my uh, my opinion and my uh, my um approach to that so that's a great idea and i'd much rather give my money to a business that supports our second amendment rights now legally speaking that's something that varies from state to state some states actually have a specific law uh, that makes it a misdemeanor or some other form of a crime if you enter the premises that have that no gun policy even if it's a private business so uh, keep that in mind to be sure to know your state and local laws before entering any business that has that no gun policy. Again, it just takes a little bit of forethought, you know, and people don't really think about these things. You know, we talk about avoidance and awareness, having plans and commitments, you know, but even, you know, has anybody really thought about, okay, well, the aftermath of a shooting, right? What's going to happen after I pull that trigger? Again, it's important to know from, you know, a legal standpoint, what to kind of expect. So as an attorney, what, what should I expect? What should our listeners expect? God forbid, if we had to use our firearms. Well, first, I just want to say that this is something that you need to take into account prior to you know, getting involved in this lifestyle because if you're carrying around a firearm all, all day presumably you've made that decision that you're willing to pull the trigger that you're willing to take another life but beyond that you have to take into account am i willing to go through the aftermath that's involved in an incident involving deadly force and there's a lot that goes into this stuff um, there's a, a case out of Michigan, a guy by the name of Marcus Weldon, they called him the Santa shooter. He had to use deadly force to protect his own life, and there was a great article about him. And, uh, you know, he had to go through a situation where he spent tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees. I believe it was in excess of 50000 which is really not at all unreasonable hmm. and not at all out of the ordinary for this type of a case. And he lost a lot of friends over this, mm-hmm. right? A lot of his friends and co-workers who might have been anti-gun uh, alienated him because of this. Uh, you deal with a lot of the emotional aftermath, right? The psychological aftermath. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the legal system. And he was a guy who was you know, protecting innocent life in this situation. Ultimately, 
uh, found not guilty, but he had to go through an entire trial and tied up his life for a very long time. And his advice goes right along with yours, Jose. And what, what he said after the fact was, don't go into situations where you might have to use your gun. But if you do, keep your mouth shut. I know you want to tell the police that you're innocent, but don't do it. You'll only incriminate yourself. And I couldn't agree with that more, Jose, because like we talked about during one of our previous episodes, I've had clients, when they're involved in these situations, maybe they didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but the way they describe it to the police after the fact, they either uh, demonstrate a misunderstanding of the law or a mischaracterization of the law, and even a gross mischaracterization of the facts. Sometimes they feel like they want to tell the police what they want to hear, or they say things the wrong way. And we're and good guys. Aftermath. You know, we want to comply. I mean, the average card-carrying good guy, concealed carry, is going to want to help the police, you know. It's going to be want to be open. And we're creatures of one of honesty, generally speaking. But that might not be the best approach, huh? And what people don't understand about these situations is right after you use deadly force, there's a tremendous amount of physiological effects. You're not going to be cool, calm, and collected. Your heart rate's going to be through the roof, blood pressure through the roof, tunnel vision, racing thoughts, inability to recall details about what just happened. People vomit, people sweat profusely, Mm -hmm. people shake uncontrollably, and that's not the time to make an accurate, coherent statement. Police across the nation recognize this, and the fact that they themselves get these periods where they don't have to make statements after their own critical incidents. So if a police officer is in a critical incident shooting, then he or she has a, has a, a kind of a, a, a period of time in which they can recompose themselves and before they have to uh, you know, make a statement? Yeah, pretty much all across the nation. Here in Pennsylvania with the state police, it's 72 hours that they get before they have to make a mm. statement, and they've got to get two consecutive nights sleep, which only makes sense. It only makes sense that you get that time to regroup before you've got to make uh, this statement that's going to be so important to the case and the investigation. And uh, people make the mistake of thinking that if you're involved in a situation where you're defending your life, even if you're in your home, that the police are going to show up and they're going to be on your side, right? Because you're the good guy in this situation. Well, the fact of the matter is that's not how their job works. And Marcus Weldon's attorney put it great. He said, I always ask people, if you had to shoot someone in your home at two in the morning, do you think the police are going to say, great job, you got the bad guy? <laughs> probably, uh, yeah, probably That's absolutely not. not the way it works. So uh, people have got to understand that you've got a long uphill battle after this. It not only entails you know, the legal process, doing things the right way by not making that statement, and then taking care of all of that aftermath as it goes, uh, but also the Im- impact it might have on your your work life, right? Mm-hmm. The friendships that you have on your family, your I mean, family relationships. People get divorced at a, a tremendous rate after critical incidents. Unfortunately, that's interesting. I mean, it's 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 you know being a concealed carrier or you know opening up. Let's say you know our listeners can probably uh, can probably relate to this. Opening up to your friends and relatives that yes, yes, I, I have a concealed carry permit or I have a purchase, I have a gun. You know, in scenarios like that, you know, some more often than not, I've had people say, well, who do you who do you want to shoot? 
shoot, Jose, or you have a concealed carry permit. You know, even our family members sometimes are judgmental um, and friends are judgmental for something as simple as just maybe having a gun or getting a permit. Imagine, you know, having to use deadly force. You know, you're going to be judged by your peers. You can be judged by your family. You know, this is one of the most heinous acts in our society. Um, it's going to have psychological um, implications. You're going to have financial repercussions. It's it's a lot more than, you know, what the, you know what we idealize, you know, in, in the movies. You know, we're going to rise to the occasion, shoot the bad guy and get a cup of coffee and, yeah, uh, um, you know, and be praised by uh, by society. It doesn't work that way. Throw That's flowers at you and the girl's going to show up. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, I'm going to be calling Mike Giaramita. Listen, Mike, I'm going to shut up and lawyer up, call my attorney, and God forbid if I have to use that gun. But it's not going to be uh, glamorous or sexy in the least. And it's not about being a tough guy. I've seen so many people incriminate themselves because they're afraid to exhibit fear they're afraid to to show that this was a situation where they got more nervous than they thought they would be and they want to come off like some kind of tough guy and that is really the worst thing you could do in these situations because people end up saying things like oh i i just wanted to show the next guy who thinks he's coming into my house well you just flushed your case straight down the drain so i or hope that it, yes. 10 seconds of feeling like a tough guy was worth <laughs> it to you or sometimes they'll say you know what if i take this gun I, i'm gonna use it because if i take it out i'm gonna use no 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 that's the the exact opposite of what we want to do is a really good book called when violence is the answer by tim larkin and uh, it really is a phenomenal book and it starts with you know violence is rarely the answer but when it is it's the only answer and uh you know he covers you know use of uh, of violence and defense in personal defense um from the innocent uh, kind of card carrying good guy aspect uh, very very well in his book so you know that meant what you just mentioned uh, reminded me of the book sure and I think that there's a distinction between what you said about folks saying, hey, if I pull it out, I'm going to use it. That's not a, a good approach, obviously, because if you pull it out and somebody runs away, you don't want to shoot them in the back, obviously. There's a big difference between protection and revenge. But at the same time, I think we could agree that you don't want to draw your firearm unless you're prepared to pull the trigger. Right, right? exactly. And again, are you pulling it because you want to or because you absolutely positively have no choice but to? Um, but to use the gun or pull it, or even pull it out, even show it, because it's not a, a tool of inti intimidation. Right. And regardless of what the former vice president says, you don't take it out and <laughs> fire two shots in the air and hope that they that run away. That would, <laughs> that would not be What goes up must come down, right? <laughs> I never understood that. <laughs> yeah, well, neither, neither did I. But, hey, you know, go figure. We have some common sense, right? Mm -hmm. I heard somebody actually argued that in court, believe it or not. Their client was in a whole lot of trouble for warning shots, and the defense was, well, the vice president said it was okay <laughs> <laughs> right well you I remember mean, that get a shotgun you yeah that? yeah fire one in the air <laughs> yeah yeah no 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 guys uh, don't 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 go there we don't we don't need that to happen yeah so there's a whole lot that that you need to take into account if you're you're gonna you know merge yourself in this lifestyle so when we come back we're gonna talk a little bit more about considerations with the aftermath see you in a minute And we're back. And before 
before leaving, we're talking a little bit about the aftermath of a defensive shooting, Mike. Yes, we were, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about educating yourself regarding the aftermath. The logical next steps. After the aftermath, what do we do? Right. So one way you could educate yourself as to how to properly uh, prepare for the aftermath is going to a live seminar. And I know that I teach seminars and attorneys teach seminars uh, about the law and what to do, what not to do in these situations. Uh, Obviously, we spoke about invoking your right to silence and an attorney immediately thereafter. So uh, these are the types of things that we discuss during these seminars. During the seminars, I talk about the justified use of deadly force, the basic principles, the castle doctrine, stand your ground, defense of others. And these are things you need to know if you're willing to be involved in the situation using deadly force. And you also weave practical examples and real-life examples of situations and cases that you've um, actually participated in uh, to serve as examples and guidelines for the listeners and the individuals visiting, right? Absolutely. So that's something that we do regularly, and I encourage people to get on out and attend these seminars. There are other seminars that are put on by retired law enforcement officers. We do those regularly, and they talk about interaction with law enforcement officers in the aftermath of a shooting. And that can be incredibly important, how to properly invoke your right to silence an attorney and how to not waive those rights, right? What do you want to do when you're pulled over by a law enforcement officer? These That's types of key. things. That's yeah. key. You hear, it in the, you hear it in the news all the time, you know, individuals getting uh, getting shot at routine traffic, quote-unquote routine traffic stops, you know, because they honestly don't know the protocol to interact properly with a law enforcement officer. Yeah, and I wonder how many people have made that decision to strap that firearm on their hip when they leave the door and not thought about, well, what happens if I get pulled over, right? (laughs) Now that I'm an armed citizen, what do I do? Some states require that you immediately inform a law enforcement officer that you're carrying. Others don't. If the state does require that you immediately inform them, you probably don't want to say I got a gun. Do you know what do you know what your state requires? And if you uh, and if you do know what your state requires, if you have to uh, disclose, then do you know and have you practiced the verbiage um, in to use when you um, actually are stressed out and have to speak to a police? The last thing you want right. to say is I got a gun. Right. No, 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 because police officers they're trigger words. You know, you sure. hear a gun. That's a, that lets them know that there's a firearm in play. Right. Something like I'm licensed to carry and it's on my left hip. Well, probably yeah, be nice to keep your hands visible, keep them on the wheel. Uh, now, another consideration is in si- states where they don't necessarily require you to disclose, there might be certain situations where it would be a good idea. Let's say the firearm's in the glove compartment and that's where your registration is, which might be a bad idea overall, but suppose you're in that situation, you might want to get out in front of that. You know, That might create an awkward moment you open that glove compartment and that 357 is laying there on top of the insurance. A little common sense goes a long way. I just tell people, just think about, put yourself in the position of the police officer. The law enforcement officer just wants to get home. They just want to get home uh, safely to their family. So if you were a police officer and you stop somebody at a routine traffic stop, quote unquote, and they opened up their glove compartment and this gun that, you know, this huge gun or any gun is in that mag- in that glove compartment, you know, your alertness is going to go up. Your anxiety is going to go up. It's just common sense. If you have a license to carry, it should be in a holster, right, on your body concealed, not banging around in that glove compartment. Mm. Yeah, that gets a lot of people in trouble, not only, uh, and I guess, in a practical sense, but certainly when it comes to interacting with law enforcement officers, that seems to be one of the, the main 
issues that we see. Well, and, and again, it, it also ties into the fact that if you have your gun, gun in your glove compartment, right, um, chances are you're not going to walk around to the other side of that glove compartment and take that gun and put it in a holster when you go to Wawa or to 7-Eleven. So now you have a, a firearm in a vehicle, and if that gun gets stolen, then you didn't make a reasonable attempt to secure the gun because, again, it's in a, in a glove compartment, not a gun compartment. So, again, these things, you know, all tie into each other and for the new shooters that are out there, the new individuals that are um, Second Amendment advocates now just learning, we've all been there. I've put my gun in my glove compartment years and years ago, but I learned through the mistakes of others. That's probably not the best course of action. I agree. Now, I want to go back to the aftermath of using deadly force. If God forbid you're involved in that critical incident. One of the things sometimes people don't consider, they hear me say lawyer up and shut up all the time or they know that they shouldn't make any statements without invoking their right to counsel, uh, you know, invoke your right to silence and your right to counsel, but they don't have an attorney lined up. And that could be a mistake because right after you pull the trigger and the police are on the way, you got a dead body on the floor, it's really not the time to be flipping through the yellow pages or scrolling through Google to find an attorney who's going to show up in the middle of the night. And I'll tell you what, that attorney that you do call, you know, at AAA Law Services or what have you in the phone book, they're going uh, <laughs> to... You're going to tune in onto your level of anxiety, and I guarantee you the rates are going to go up. <laughs> well, that, that may be true. And you want to make sure that you have somebody who focuses on the laws of self-defense. And knows like them. Like we said, this is, this is a whole entirely different animal. Uh, explaining to a jury the fact that you did something that's generally a crime, but the law recognizes a reason why is totally different than saying my guy didn't do it, some other guy did it. Shut so, up, say you didn't do it, it wasn't your fault, it was an accident. <laughs> yeah, well, you say something like that, you flush your justification straight down the drain, and that's the problem. That's the problem. So Absolutely. Just like you make all these other plans ahead of time, right? You, you make plans to how you're going to react to an intruder in your home, you make these plans with your kids, you need to, to plan as to which attorney is going to represent you in these situations. And you need to make sure that you're able to afford that attorney, that you've got that, those, those financial arrangements set up ahead of time, or that you're a member of a firearms legal defense program like U.S. Law Shield. But one way or another, you've got to make sure that that's all planned out before you're involved in this critical incident, because at that point it's too late. It absolutely will be too late. So you have to have, you know, again, those those mechanisms in place. It's not just having that that gun with the defensive ammunition and the holster and the gun belt. You know, have a have take a minute to get a reputable attorney's business card and place that inside your wallet as well. And practice. I tell people practice these scenarios. If I'm driving and I get stopped by a police officer, how would I interact with them when they pull me over? What would I do? You know, I would let them know um, if I would let them know I'm a legally licensed concealed carrier. My firearm is on my right hip. And I would say to them, what would you like me to do, sir, ma'am? And keep my hands at 10 and 2. Don't make any furtive movements. Any movements conducive with getting a gun. Sudden movements. But these are things that even I, after all these years, practice every once in a while while I'm driving. I role play this in my mind, um, you know, just to stay sharp and stay aware. So it's important to practice these things as well. But also knowing these things. I mean, going to, you know, a, a concealed carry class. We offer those here at Philly Firearms Academy. We teach students what to do if they're stopped by a police officer. Um, well, having these plans in place, how to interact with them as well. You know, 
um, having you know these skills um, that we need to be able to have ingrained uh, on on um, you know at a moment's notice to using you know in so far as using the gun those are, are really important you don't want to figure out when you need to use a gun that you don't know how to use the gun properly or safely or again you know what plans you have in place or create plans prior to needing them those are also things that need to be addressed and assessed and created prior to to that actual gunfight. It's just like preparing for a potential fire, right? You hope that your house never catches on fire. But God forbid that happens, you want to, number one, have a fire extinguisher, right? That's important. But it doesn't stop at that. It's not just, okay, I've got the fire extinguisher. I'll figure out what to do with it. Well, when have it you happens. read the instructions? Do you know how to use that fire extinguisher? Which which point, you well, know, which I, area to point, you know, which which area to point. direction But to also, point. where's the family going to go, right? Where are my kids going to go? Where's my wife going to go? What, what are we going to do? How are we going to physically do this? Schools do fire drills all the time. Yeah, there's a absolutely. reason for that, right? Absolutely. How are you going to evacuate? Do they still do nature. fire drills though? Oh, I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, I, yeah. I hope so. I think they're still making fires, right? So, <laughs> so they better be still doing the drills. And that's a really good analogy. Yeah, just like a fire drill, we have to have, you know, these drills in place. And they all take it even a step further and say, hey, listen, you know, if you have a firearm at home, you know, do you have plans at home for quote-unquote home invasions, for burglaries? You know, if this happens, if, if a situation occurs, does your spouse, do your children, do other family members and people in the household know what to do? These are things that need to be um, addressed and, 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 and to be spoken about. And your legal protection is something that's got to factor into that plan because we've seen far too many people end up in situations where they spend a massive amount of time in jail and a massive amount of money and really ruin their lives over these sorts of things when maybe they didn't even necessarily do anything wrong. So it's incredibly important to have that plan ahead of time. I can't say it enough. And you know, I've had people who don't believe me who think ah, you know what does that guy <laughs> yeah, know yeah he doesn't, he doesn't know anything and sure enough they end up in these situations and it's really a shame I don't wish that upon anybody believe me um, but unfortunately it's something that happens in the world today and we're seeing it happen more and more because the fact of the matter is we're in a world where uh, these these types of things happen and we see them happening on the news uh, sometimes we think it can't happen to us well it happens to people every single day and this is not to say, ladies and gentlemen, that, you know, we're going to hesitate uh, carrying our, our firearms or, you know, exercising our rights because we might be sued. You know what? I can be walking down the street and, and be sued because someone doesn't, doesn't like the color of my shirt, you know? Um, it's just we need to have these plans in place in the event that, you know, uh, situations occur. We have to use the gun prior to figuring it out as we go along, you know? Sure. You just take measures to make sure that you minimize uh, the, the damage that occurs after the fact, that's all. Uh, with everything, there's risk. There's risk that comes with just about everything, but that, does, that shouldn't stop you from preparing to uh, minimize those risks, and then, God forbid, uh, you end up one of the unlucky ones. Uh, having a plan in place to take care of that as well. It's all about, you know, properly arming yourself mentally, physically, and legally, and uh, having plans in place prior to it. So we hope that, you know, you've got some, our listeners got something out of this episode because we enjoy talking about this stuff so much. So thank you, folks. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Locked, Loaded, and Legal, brought to you by Philly Firearms Radio. 
For more information and to show your support, visit LockLoadedAndLegal.com.